Hi, I'm Dr. Gemma Newman, also known as the Plant Power Doctor, and I'm your host for the Wellness Edit podcast with Holland and Barrett. In today's episode, I am delighted to be joined by the amazing Alice Living. She is a blogger, she is a personal trainer, she is a fitness inspiration, she's a Women's Aid ambassador, and she's an all-round fantastic human being. And she was wonderful. We've got to talk all about her fitness inspiration, why she was so passionate about helping people to get fit, and also a few more aspects to her personal story, where she was able to really show how important it is for our well-being to give to to other people. I know you're going to love this episode, so I really look forward to hearing what you think. Hello, Alice. Hello. Thank you so much for that introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Did you like it? (laughs) Very nice. Very nice. (laughs) No, honestly, it's really lovely to chat to you and you know, this Wellness Edit podcast is all about feeling good. And um, I know that you're hugely passionate about helping people to feel good again and uh, discovering their strength. And so, yeah, I'm really thrilled to be able to share your wisdom today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. <laughs> so if we get started, um, I mean, how have things been going for you um, over the last few months during the pandemic? How's it all been? Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because I think for a lot of people, and, and absolutely understandably, it has been an incredibly challenging time. And there have been days where I found it really difficult. But I think one of the things that I've really clung on to over the last year is the fact that I'm really fortunate that I've been continuing to work. Uh, and I've been continuing to do things that I love, which is coaching. Um, I think the medium of social media is just so incredible in that, you know, however many years ago we wouldn't have been able to have the opportunity to to connect with as many people as we have done over the past year and if anything it's been a real blessing for me to have that level of connection because it's meant that I can continue to do the things that I enjoy like you know being able to teach online and be able to connect with my audience um and offer just just my small part uh, of help over the last year to keep people moving and feeling good so that's definitely been a real positive and um I think it's really helped me to I guess pivot as well in terms of the way that I work you know prior to covid i'd been seeing clients one-to-one uh at a gym in 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 london um and what covid made me do was think oh hang on a second at a gym i can only see one person an hour for x amount but actually you know through being able to to create an online a digital platform i'd be able to reach hundreds of thousands of people every single day uh, and so I really pivoted and have now, uh, I launched my Give Me Strength app, which came out on the 1st of June, which is a fitness platform for people to be able to follow workout programs or, or train with myself online. And so it's really been like an interesting time because I think for many people, we've all had to sort of reassess how we do things. And, and so I think that whilst COVID, yes, like I said at the start, has been incredibly challenging. It's also been the catalyst for change, particularly for myself, for my business. Um, and so it's also been an exciting time and a time when I can really start to have things to look forward to. And, and yeah, I'm just feeling very grateful for that opportunity. Absolutely. I really love how you have used the opportunity to make something amazing. It sounds incredible, this app. Do you think you would have done the app if it hadn't been for the pandemic? It's such a tricky one, isn't it? I mean, I'd always wanted to do something like that. But actually, I think the thing that really stopped me, and it's such a, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts with business experts and stuff. And I think, you know, I was just listening to one this morning that said like, you know, an idea is nothing unless you act upon it. And so I'd always had these ideas of like, oh, I might do this or I might do that, but never quite, you know, put pen to paper and actioned any of those things. And actually, I think what COVID did was, it um, boosted my confidence. I say COVID, I mean, you know, the pandemic and the situation we've, we've gone through over the last year. It boosted my confidence in the sense that I, I lacked confidence as a coach, I think, up until pre, pre-COVID. Um, and on taking my teaching online and then being able to reach hundreds of thousands of people, um, I really needed that confidence boost. I needed a little bit of validation, maybe, <laughs> that I was doing the right thing and that I was good at what I did. And really, that was what kind of boosted me to go, hang on a second, I really need to do this now. This is the time to do it. 
Um, now I now have the confidence to think, you know, that I'm good enough to do it. And so, yeah, I guess it definitely was a result of the, you know, the last year and, and what's gone on that really, I guess, spurred me to do it. So, yeah, I definitely probably would have done something. I don't think I would have uh, done it as quickly as I've done it. Um, but yeah, it has been, it's been an interesting time. And like I said, it's really was, yeah, the catalyst for change for me. Yeah, that catalyst to accelerate your journey. And you, know, you already had an incredible Instagram following beforehand, really. So it, it would have made so much sense to be able to you know, share that. But I find it fascinating that you didn't have the confidence before. I think imposter syndrome is real. You know, it affects almost every one of us, even somebody like yourself, who we, you know, we all look up to as being somebody so motivated, so confident um, that, you know, it can happen to any of us, can't it? Yeah. And I think, you know, like I, I, I find it difficult because I think particularly for myself with having a large following online, I think people can put you on a pedestal of being like, oh, she must have it all and everything's good and she never has bad days. And I think, you know, if, if anything, um, what I've learned over the last couple of years is that like showing those vulnerabilities and telling people that, you know, just as much as, you know, I do have a large following, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all worked out. I make mistakes and I definitely have my insecurities just as much as the next person. And I think being honest about those things is actually what makes you more, I guess, real and, and relatable, um, rather than kind of putting across this image that my life is perfect in every way. Cause it's, definitely not. <laughs> um, yeah. and so I think, yeah, like I, I, I feel that, um, whilst there's a balance and I definitely have boundaries with what I share online, um, sharing what I feel comfortable about sharing when it comes to those vulnerabilities has been really important for me because I think that's allowed me to connect with my audience on a deeper level because they don't see me as some sort of, you know, perfect person um and i think that's really really important and that that's the kind of content that i personally connect with too you know the people that i enjoy following online are the people that show a whole variety of stuff you know i love showing myself dressed up with makeup on looking nice but i also like showing myself without makeup with my hair a mess and in my pajamas because that's the reality of, of most of our lives. So I think it's the people that I connect with and what I try and show is a bit of both and a real mixture of, of, of realness, I guess, in inverted commas, um, amongst all the other stuff that I share. Yeah, I think it's a really hard conversation, actually. I mean, we may be going slightly off topic, but social media, what you share, being authentic, but at the same time, respecting boundaries, privacy, um, and sanity <laughs> is, I would imagine, something that people have to work on all the time. Um, maybe it gets worse the larger the following you have. I don't know. I mean, have you found it a struggle at any point um, knowing what to share or feeling comfortable with what to share? And how have you navigated that? Yeah, I mean... I think the thing to, that I always have to remind myself of is when I started using social media, uh, you know, when Instagram first sort of was really a thing, I never, you know, the, the, the term influencer didn't even exist. I never set out to grow a following and I sort of stumbled across this experience that I've, you know, gone through over the last however many years where people started to engage with what I did and my following grew and grew and grew. And whilst it was amazing and I'm incredibly grateful for that opportunity, it wasn't something that I ever planned for, nor did I even, you know, think would happen to me in my wildest dreams. So I've really had to learn along the way how to cope and how to manage with what I now find myself doing. Um, you know, I set out on a completely different path in life and, um, whilst I've made choices and have definitely made the decision to be where I am now, it hasn't come with its struggles. And I think that one of the things I find, I guess, slightly difficult is that, you know, people um, assume that you must have a very thick skin and that you're able to deal with some of the, I guess, darker or more toxic sides of the internet, i.e. trolling or people just being really awful to you uh, because you have a large platform. Um, and I think for me, definitely, and I, and I actually did a, a story about this the other day, like, I am not a thick skinned person. I'm incredibly sensitive. I take criticism pretty badly. And so there are definitely times where I find it really hard to be in the job that I am. And you don't feel like you can complain about it at all because 
people see it as such a huge privilege to be doing what you're doing and to have the following you do. So it's sort of like you just have to grin and bear it and accept that it's a, a nasty reality of the job that you chose. And I, I find that difficult sometimes because it is hard and, um, you know, I don't care how thick skinned someone is, you know, to have people saying some awful stuff to you on a daily basis is pretty, it wears you down, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, going back to your question, um, I have really had to learn how to deal with some of that stuff and to, um, have a toolkit of things that I can rely on to support me when I do find it particularly challenging. Um, and I think that, you know, social media on the whole has a lot to answer for in terms of how we are as people, you know, what we see as success, what we see as perfection, what we see as good and bad, you know, all these things. I think it throws up so many interesting conversations in terms of how we now see each other. You know, I think the level of comparison that we now exist in is just way more than ever, ever before. You know, you might have compared yourself to the people in your class or the people that you work with. Now we compare ourselves to hundreds of thousands of people on the internet. It, you know, it's 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 easy to see how people can fall into quite a dark place with that. Um, but I I don't think that social media is going anywhere, which I think is a good thing. And so I think it's more about how can we help people, just as I said I've done, how can we help people to have better tools and better knowledge to equip themselves with the, um, I guess, information to support themselves online better. I think social media, the, the, the companies that, that run them have a responsibility, but I think we as individuals and people that I guess use it with large platforms also have a responsibility to help people understand that there are ways and means of, of navigating social media in a more positive way. Yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, speaking from personal experience, I grew up at a time where there was no social media at all. I'm probably a lot older than you. And for me, you know, it was literally landline phones, call your friends, hope they were in. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I just was on the tail end of that. I was still, I still did the landline thing a bit, but I was like Phoebo <laughs> and MySpace. That was my kind of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I do feel sorry for people today having to deal with this and because obviously we have to deal with it too. But like you say, there are positives and... I don't remember where I heard this quote, but somebody said something um, along the lines of, you know, when you have lots of people commenting or telling you awful things, it's really difficult because, you know, essentially these people you've never met, you don't know, they could be anyone from anywhere. And we're essentially giving them front row seats to our life and giving them, you know, the, the permission to comment uh, whatever they think, you know, they want to say. And I think you're right to think about this in a, in a more structured way, think about it in a boundaried way and understand, you know, these people have their own lives, their own reality, which may or may not be anything to do with you or your life. So yeah, it's, it's, it's great to have those boundaries in place. But as you say, you know, it's really positive a lot of the time. You, know, you got people moving through IG lives um, all throughout the pandemic. That was obviously something really important to you. Fitness is hugely important to you. I'd like to just backtrack a little bit and go into a bit more depth about your personal story uh, as to why you're so passionate about this. You mentioned that you started out in a completely different path for life. Um, so, so would you like to share with us a little bit more about how you got to where you are today? Yeah, of course. I mean, so I originally trained as a dancer and performer. I wanted to go into musicals and my dream was to be in the West End. So that's what I set out to do. I went to a place called Bird College, which is a um, really renowned performing arts school. And um, it was really while I was there, you know, I think if I'd have gone to normal, like to a normal uni or down that normal uni route, I would have had a very different experience. But my experience was I was in a class of 100 people, you know, 50 girls who were all incredible and lean and long. And uh, I, uh, you know, had to spend every single day in a dance a leotard, in a, a ballet leotard next to these people. And that voice of comparison started to come into my head and, and I sort of thought to myself, oh, I don't look like her and I don't look like this. And it's an incredibly aesthetically driven industry. You know, it's all about how you look, unfortunately. And so, and that was really drilled into us from day one. You know, your appearance was so crucial to your success. So you had to have the right makeup, the right outfit, you know, the right hair, you had to look the part. And, um, and really like, I think that kind of got into my head. And so 
I knew that I wasn't the strongest dancer. I knew that I wasn't the strongest performer, but it was a um, sort of review meeting with my form teacher. And she said to me, you know, Alice, what you really need to do is you need to build some strength because you're really lacking in strength. And um, and it was almost like a red rag to a ball for me. I was like, right, I know I'm not going to be the best dancer or the best performer, but I can be the strongest dancer I can be. And so I set out on this sort of fitness journey. I was like, right, I'm going to get really strong. I signed up to the gym and I started strength training. I think I'd come across online somewhere, you know, it was the era of sort of Joe Wicks was just starting out and Kayla Itzines and all those people. I'd sort of seen that strength training was was really popular. And so I thought, right, this seems like something that I can do. And up to that point, you know, I'd never enjoyed exercise. I'd never really, at school, I was not sporty at all. I used to like hide in the gym in PE lessons and get my mum to write me notes all the time because I hated it. Um, but it's because I never found something that stuck and that I really enjoyed. And then when I started strength training and I started going to the gym, it was finally like something just clicked and I was like, oh, this really works for me. I'm really enjoying this. And not only did I enjoy it, but my physique changed. I, um, you know, had this amazing sort of transformation um, and and really started to feel as though I'd found something that really worked for me. Um and, you know, along with that, you get the sort of, oh my God, you look amazing. And suddenly all my teachers were like, you put a six pack and you look great. And, and I was getting, you know, I was feeling confident enough to stand in the front row in class and stuff like that. And I think what happened was, as with most things, you know, you start along this path. And I think a lot of women, and this is why I share my story a lot, is that I think a lot of women can really relate to this journey, which is we're conditioned to believe that life is better if we're smaller and we should always be in a small body to be successful. And that's what's kind of your ticket to success. And so much of our success, we feel, rides off the way that we look, our external appearance. So we make ourselves smaller. It often happens in that initial, you know, I, I, I mean, I see so many and hear from so many people who sort of do it in that uni to post uni stage. You know, I put a bit of weight on your first year of uni and then it's like, right, I need to look great. I need to train. I need to eat really well. Um, and so you start out on this journey just as I did and you sort of hit your goal maybe. And then it's like, well, what now, you know? And so you do a bit more and you do a bit more and then it's like, where do I stop? And I think as well, you know, you become, or I certainly did anyway, very wedded to those structures and those things that got you to where they got you to. And the place where people were telling you look amazing and the place where people were like, well, how have you done it? You know, what have you done? And it can become quite addictive. And it's that external validation that you may be so desired prior to, to your journey um, that you then kind of live off. And I probably existed off that um, very unhealthily for a couple of years where I had reached my goal and then just gone that, that bit too far. You know, I was doing too much exercise. I wasn't resting. I was eating too little. Um, I was incredibly stressed because I was doing lots of, lots of stuff, you know, long hours of rehearsals, going to auditions, all that sort of thing. Um, and it was just too much for my body. And so uh, a couple of years later, I really had to readdress the fact that, you know, my pursuit of health wasn't necessarily actually healthy <laughs> and where I'd got to wasn't actually what I wanted to achieve. It was actually way too far and way too much for what my body was able to cope with. And so then it was really about rediscovering, okay, I really like exercise. I really want to pursue a healthy body, but I need to learn how to do that in a, in an, a proper healthy way. And so it was really about unpicking all of those behaviors that you are conditioned to believe are to be true. So eating very little carbs, the fact that more exercise is always better. So you need to always be doing stuff. You know, this idea of always being in a calorie deficit I see now, you know, that's just not healthy for most women on a prolonged, you know, over a prolonged period of time. So it was really about unpicking a lot of those things. And now, you know, where I find myself, and sorry, this is a really long-winded story, so I'm going to wrap it up quickly. But now where I find myself is, you know, I have a really good relationship with exercise. I've worked really hard to readdress my relationship with food. Yes, I think that, um, you know, I still pursue health, positive health behaviors. Yes, I still exercise. But all of those things make up a much bigger puzzle of what I now know to be health. And they are just 
just small parts of that puzzle rather than being the whole thing. I don't think that was too much at all. I think that was a fantastic summary. (laughs) I wanted to just let you talk because, you know, in talking, you shared a lot of really important points. And in my practice, I see women um, who also love exercise, but have stopped their periods and they're struggling. And they say, look, my periods have stopped. And, you know, when you get to the point where your body is not able to function in, you know, and have periods or, you know, or you're exhausted all the time or you're constantly stressed, as you say, you know, this is not health. You know, this is not uh, the way that a a woman's body um, is in in an optimal state. So for them, that was often the trigger. Um, You obviously realized yourself, you know, this, you know, this doesn't feel right. Was there any kind of penny drop moment for you uh, that you suddenly thought, oh, I need to change this? Or was it just a gradual realisation? Do you know what? I think it was really interesting because it wasn't like a penny drop. But I think that actually like when I... So I've been in in a relationship with my partner for five years. And I think when we got into a relationship, you know, the things that you've existed of doing for however long on your own, which to me were completely normal, you know, getting up at 5am and going to the gym and then walking 20,000 steps a day and and not going out for, for meals and stuff. That's fine when you're on your own. But when you're then in a relationship with someone else and you want to enjoy those things and you want to have that life balance, I think that for me was like, whoa, I need to like learn to sort of manage this better because I want to go out and do those things. I, you know, for me now, socializing is such a huge part of my life and going out and having nice meals and missing the gym because I just want to have a line on a Sunday morning. Those are really important. And I think it was just maybe having a second pair of eyes on my life and being like, oh, okay, when I've been existing in this bubble, it's been okay. But as soon as someone else came in and was like, you know, I guess disrupting that, that uh, routine, I really thought I need to I need to get some help with this. Um, but I must admit as well, and, and you touch on a really good point there, you know, hypothalamic amenorrhea is something that I am seeing so much at the moment. And it was something that absolutely affected me. Um, I didn't have any idea what it was, but I came off the contraceptive pill and suddenly was like, hmm, nothing's happening. I'm not getting a period. And you sort of a couple of months go by and it's like, okay, maybe it'll come in a, in a bit. And you sort of spoke to my GP at the time. She said, you know, just got to wait. Um, and just nothing happened. And it was only when I went to see an amazing um, GP that I now see, um, you know, as my, as my normal GP. She was the first person that said to me, Alice, you need to put on some weight and you need to stop doing so much exercise. And nobody had ever addressed it with me in that way. You know, I'd never been told that that was something that I needed to consider. And I think what you said, which is really important, is there's a body that we might all want to exist in as women, but there's also a body that we need to exist in to be healthy. And those can be two different things. And so you can chase that really unhealthy body that you so dream of, but there's going to be so much sacrifice in order to get there. And I promise you, it is not going to be worth it. And I think actually as well, you know, you mentioned a lot of, it's a lot of women that come and see you with this issue. I do think men have the same problem, but I think what women are generally flagged up with is, you know, I want to have children. And suddenly I was like, well, if I'm, you know, if I haven't got a healthy functioning period, well, that's going to be really important for me to be able to conceive. And so that was another thing that I was like, right, I really need to get my myself together sorry (laughs) I need to get myself together because um because that that's something that I want to achieve in my life and and what would I rather you know exist in a smaller body or be able to have something that is going to be so you know important to me um and so I think yeah I I really feel that it's a conversation that needs to be had far more and I think we really need to get women to understand that exercise is great for us so is eating well but there is a tipping point with all women and that's going to be a different place for everyone as I'm sure you have this conversation with your you know clients that you see the tipping point is very different for everyone. There are people that can tolerate a really high threshold of exercise um, and still be fine. But there are some people for whom, you know, they, they've passed over that tipping point and it's just too much stress on their body. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, yeah, I think the more we talk about that side of things, the more I guess we will have that conversation around what is health and what is healthy for people rather than yeah. it looking 
a certain way, which I don't believe it does. You're you're very right there. I have seen women in my practice who had a normal you know, body mass index, and you know who they said to me, "But doctor, you know I'm not too thin." And it's mm. like, well, you know, just tell me a bit about your exercise habits. <laughs> you know, they're exercising every single day. They're, you know, they've got late nights, early mornings and stress and all of this stuff. So, yeah, I think it is really important to take a more holistic view. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm just wondering, what are your opinions on this? I mean, how do you think we can remove some of the pressure on women, I suppose, specifically, but men too? But I feel it probably affects women more at least they're more vocal about it perhaps I don't know you can give me your opinion but but what do you think we could do to remove the pressure on people to have the perfect body well I think you make a good point in that I do think it's more prevalent in women um but I don't think that men are are completely unscathed when it comes to them having similar issues um I think one of the things that it comes down to is up until this point and I have played my part in this there has been one physique and one narrative when it comes to exercise it's always a very lean body usually very muscular you know they've got a six pack or whatever and if that's all you see as being the ideal body or the ideal fitness body um then that's what you're going to strive to work towards and actually i always reference things like powerlifting and crossfit and women's rugby when you see a diverse mix of women who all engage in with exercise but who have such varying body shapes, you know, and who exist in different shapes, sizes, um, and, you know, that th- they're still healthy and they exercise regularly. That's more what we need to see. And I think the media and social media have responsibilities in this area to sort of I guess, change the narrative and show a whole mixture of people engaging in exercise in a meaningful way. My favorite phrase is like, what you, um, you can't be what you can't see. And so in order for people to see themselves exercising, they need to see themselves represented in various different ways across the media and social media um, in order for them to feel as though that's something that they can do. I, I often reference the This Girl Can campaign as an amazing initiative to sort of really showcase real women. I mean, I hate using that term, but like a real variety of women exercising, having fun, enjoying themselves. You know, that's the sort of stuff that we need to see. You know, I spoke earlier about my experience of exercise at school, and I think it really does start there. We need to encourage young women and girls to see exercise as a fun, long-term, sustainable thing. It's not about being super competitive, although absolutely those things should be there. But for those who don't fall into that category, at the moment, I just see women and girls falling through the net and just never engaging with exercise because they don't think they're good at it. But actually what we need to do is say, okay, there are some people who are gonna really enjoy that competitive side, of which I think that is also great. But for everyone else, how can we help them to engage with exercise in a fun, engaging way? They might not be the best, but hell, we all need to be doing it. We know that exercise is so connected to longevity of, of, our, of health, of our life. Um, it, has, it has so many positive health benefits, but it shouldn't be you know, that you're either good at it or you're not. We should all be doing it. And so, yeah, I think it is that level of representation. You know, people, I guess... There are loads of people online, but, you know, like myself, like other people who are saying and challenging that narrative and saying, you know, I don't have the smallest body, but I train really hard. I'm really strong. I enjoy exercise. Um, That's what we need to see, I think. Um, And I guess also people like you, I guess, offering the counter, you know, the other side of things, which is what what do you want to achieve from from life and what what does health mean to you because doing too much exercise isn't conducive to you know being healthy um, and getting that side of things too yeah you're absolutely right and interestingly I was also that girl in school that that used to avoid exercise at all costs you know I (laughs) I really did I hated cross country I didn't have a sports bra I just thought no I can't do this and I'd see all the fit girls running around and I think no that's not me um and it took me a long time to get out of that mindset and I think for me personally it really helped um to look at exercise as something to enjoy but also something that will keep me well 
as I got older. So, you know, people don't think about this when they're young, but it it will reduce your risk of dementia and cancer and all these um, chronic diseases of life, especially in the Western world. Um, And exercise can have a huge role to play in diminishing those risks. And when I, you know, when I sort of heard a story of um, a patient of mine who was suffering from bowel cancer. She'd had her surgery um, and she decided to start to get fit because, you know, I'd explained some of the research on cancer prevention and exercise. I thought, you know, this is this is why the message is so important is for people like her uh, and, and for all of us to understand those benefits without feeling self-conscious, without feeling that we're not good enough, without feeling like we haven't got the perfect body. We can't show our body. God forbid we should go swimming, you know, all these things. So I love your passion, your enthusiasm and I love that inclusive message Um, and I also think that it's really perhaps going to be reflected as well in the app that you're developing because you know you mentioned it's for everybody so I'd love to hear a little bit more about the app and how it fits in with with that amazing impassioned um, plea that you said about inclusivity. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that has been at the core of what I've tried to achieve with the app is that I know that there are so many exercise formats and apps and programs out there that are really intimidating for some women. And I never wanted that to be the case with what I produced. And so um, within the app, one of the things that I was really, really keen to engage with is the fact that um, if you're a complete beginner, rather than throw you in at the deep end with something that's just completely unachievable, we created a movement prep program. So if someone joins the app who is, for example, you know, I've got, I've had women who are recovering from surgery, who are going through chemo, um, you know, all these sorts of things who've reached out to me and said they're doing this program. Um, The program is designed for someone who has done very little up until this point and just needs to know where to start. Because I think you touched on a really good point. It's like, you can see all these people doing amazing things. It's like, how do I just take that first step? So the movement prep program, it can be two weeks, but you can do it for longer than that. And it basically just takes you through really basic movement patterns. So a basic squat, a lunge, learning how to do those things, being familiar with your body and learning how to move your body within space, gaining stability, strength, proprioception, all of those things. And then once you've graduated from that and you feel as though, okay, I've kind of got two weeks to four weeks of of really understanding how to do these things, then you can progress to the main program. And then when it comes to the programs, we have three specific programs, but one of them I'd love to highlight with you, which is our Energize program. Now, I designed this program with um, menopausal women and sort of slightly older women in mind. I know that there is not much that caters to this section of the of the market. And I, I hate that because I think it's such a crucial age when women engaging with strength training is so important for their health. Um, so the Energize program is a mixture of both strength training and mobility. So it sort of pulls back a little bit on some of the strength training in the other two programs that I provide and actually inputs more mobility. So there's a real focus on sign up kind of I guess, physical health in that you're touching on the mobility side of things, which does tend to diminish as we get older, but then also supporting that with um, strength training in order to strengthen those end ranges and make sure that you're staying injury free and able to move well. So that's one of the things that I also felt really passionate about. And, you know, I think one of the things that's really pleasantly surprised me, I guess, having launched the app is how many older populations are doing it. I think my oldest client at the moment on the app is like 77, um, which is amazing. Brilliant. Amazing. And like, brilliant. Yeah, I know. It's, I mean, it's just amazing. And, and I just feel so chuffed that, um, that we're seeing women of that age still continue to exercise. And, and, and I know I'm completely biased on this, but to strength train, because I think a lot of people can be really intimidated by the fact that lifting weights is like, oh God, it's scary. And especially in a gym environment, I can understand why that is scary. But with an app where you can do it from home, we also have a section of the app where you can train live with me. So uh, five times a week, you will get one-to-one, uh, like like not one-to-one, but obviously classes where I'm teaching the whole class. So you follow along from home, you get all the coaching cues that will come along with that, just as if we were doing the session together. You know, the fact that that then opens up a whole audience of people who might not be confident enough to go to the gym. They might be really scared of lifting up a set of weights and knowing what to do with them. Um, They might feel, you know, time pressured because they've got kids or family or they're a carer. You know, all those things you sort of, I try and cover every angle of who can engage with exercise with this and how can I reach out to them and make sure I'm, I'm providing something that they will enjoy and they can do long term. 
That's great. I think you're breaking down those barriers, all of which I personally have experienced. I've never had a gym membership and I've always found it very intimidating, the idea of going to a gym. Yeah, no, it is, so, it is. I totally get that. <laughs> so yes, um, maybe I'll be getting the app myself. Um, but um, I also wanted to touch on something that you mentioned earlier. Earlier on in the conversation, you talked about how exercise really helped to get you in a good place physically and mentally. Um, you know, you found that you were getting a lot of compliments and feeling good and it was like a positive feedback cycle. Um, so if somebody is exercising and using exercise as their way of staying mentally healthy, but then they have to cut back for whatever reason, do, do you have any tips for people on, on or, or just to share your story of, of how you are able to look after your mental health? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is, when it comes to exercise, I try and encourage people to see it as one element of a toolbox of things that can support your mental well-being. Because what I think is difficult is, you know, we've seen these quotes flying around, like exercise is free therapy and all that sort of stuff. And really, I don't necessarily subscribe to that narrative because if we see exercise as being the panacea of mental wellness and like the thing that will get everyone to feel better, we're placing way too much focus on it and also then becoming slightly reliant on it as a coping mechanism for our mental health. I'm not saying that it's not hugely beneficial for a lot of people. And we know that studies support the fact that, you know, it's great for our mental health, that you can reduce symptoms of depression, anxiety, all those things. However, I think if we encourage people to see it as one aspect of a bigger toolkit, it won't become the sole focus and we won't be so reliant on it. So absolutely, for myself, for example, I use exercise as one of the things that I'll go to when I might need some support. If I'm feeling stressed or anxious, if I'm just feeling a bit blue or, you know, a bit down, going and doing a really good gym session can be the thing that makes me feel better. But sometimes it doesn't. And it's like, well, if it doesn't, what are the other things that I can then rely on that will also support my mental health when exercise isn't probably the thing that I need? And there are many occasions where it isn't, you know, so... I've I've worked with clients one to one and I've I've had people online who I've spoken to where exercise actually isn't the thing that they need. Maybe they're doing it a bit too much and they need to pull back. Maybe they've come ex uh, become really reliant on exercise so they're at the point where they're having to do it every day to get that benefit and actually that's too much. Um maybe it's just that they don't like you said they don't have time to commit to exercise even though they know that that might be the thing that helps them. So I'd say the other things that I personally do are I'm a big fan of the uh, mindfulness apps. I think that, you know, technology for all its sins also has amazing parts because I think that things like Headspace and Calm are great, great tools to be able to just be, you know, take five minutes to check in with yourself. Um, we know that our breath cycle is so connected to our parasympathetic nervous system, our ability to calm ourselves, to rest and digest. And I think that um, whilst exercise is great, it can often take you more into that sympathetic state. Uh, whereas if actually, if that's not what you need, taking yourself slightly lower, bringing yourself down, being able to uh, down-regulate your, your um, central nervous system, that's one of the things that can actually really help to support your mental well-being too. So I sort of try and do a bit of both of those things. The breathing for me is actually really, really important. Um, and actually, usually I'll do it at, at the end of a session or if I don't have time to train, just doing five minutes of really focused breathing. Um, sometimes I use that square breathing tool. I don't know if you've um, seen that, but things like that just to really bring yourself down. You know, I would say... I'm of a slightly anxious, not slightly, a very anxious disposition. <laughs> and I'm very chaotic and very sort of like all over the place. And if I just need to be like, whoo, calm, then breathing is the thing for me. Um, other things that I think are really helpful, and I sort of, I always get a bit nervous referencing this because I know it's a huge privilege to be able to do it, but I've had regular therapy every week for the last over a year now. And therapy for me has been one of those things. It's just regular talking therapy. It's been one of those things that I sort of have put off doing for so long. I didn't really feel like it was something that I needed. And I was like, oh, no, it's a bit woo-woo. And like, you know, everyone has a therapist now and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But honestly, it's been one of the best things I've done. I feel that in being able to offload to a completely impartial person who is incredibly supportive very responsive, um, 
very sort of, I guess, engaging with all of my problems and, and is there just to listen? That's been so helpful for me. And so my sort of past worries about therapy have completely gone out the window because I now really see it as one of the things that has got me to a place where I feel in a really good place. Um, and going back to my little toolbox analogy, I think therapy gives you, I guess, more of a stability and more of a kind of grounding to be able to deal with the problems better rather than it being like a sticking plaster or a tick box to be like, oh, as soon as I've had therapy, everything was better and I never had to worry again. That's just not how I see it happen, you know, being. For me, therapy is um, not completely eradicating any of those issues, but giving you a better support structure to be able to deal with them when they come at you. Yeah, so I think that's I another think so. thing that I, I really find helpful. So yeah, I think there's there's a lot of things, but going back to your initial question, I don't think we should see exercise as the only thing we can use for our mental health. And I don't think we should become super reliant on it but I think it can be one part of a bigger puzzle or a bigger picture of things that we can use to support our mental health. Yeah, I think you're really right there. And also, I think it is important to talk about the role of therapy because, yes, of course, it's a privilege to be able to have a therapist. It's also a privilege to have a personal trainer. But at the same time, you know, there are things that we can do and access for free or for a very small cost. Mm. I mean, apps and YouTube channels and on the NHS, people can get free counselling and you don't have to necessarily be in the in the biggest crisis to be able to access all of these things online as well as in person and on the phone. And of course, you have, you know, crisis lines as well that can be free and, and easy to access. And I suppose that brings me on to thinking about your work with you know, women's aid, mm. because it, it doesn't have to cost a lot of money to get help, whatever situation you're in. And, you know, I would love for you to share a little bit more with me around why you're so passionate about helping women's aid and what it's meant to you to to be an ambassador for them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, I've spoken about it publicly for a while now, but my experience of abusive of an abusive relationship was one that I think has really, really fundamentally changed me as a person. Um, and I think that anyone who goes through an abusive relationship will know that um, your sense of self, your confidence, your um, identity is all completely wiped from you. And so I came out of that situation basically having to rebuild myself from the ground up. And I know I just mentioned about therapy because, you know, at the time I saw a counsellor for maybe like three sessions and I was like, I don't need this. I... I'm, you know, I, I can deal with this myself. I can handle it. Never went back. And it was only 10 years later that all of that stuff started to bubble up and started to come up as flashbacks, as panic attacks, you know. Um, and so I think that my experience of, of um, abuse and of being in an abusive relationship, both physically, emotionally, um, is that it leaves a deep running trauma that takes a long time to work through. And what women say do, and why I felt so passionate about working with them was I never dealt with my stuff at the time. And I never even really acknowledged properly that what happened to me, firstly, wasn't my fault. And secondly, was abuse because I, I was really young. I mean, I was only 16. And I just wanted to believe that, you know, it was sort of a, a bad experience and I could just write it off and move on. Um, but actually the work that I've done with Women's Aid, you know, I've met, I've spoken to many, many women who've been in similar situations to myself. I've gone and visited the charity many times. I work really closely with them on, on lots of different things. And what I've learned is that, you know, for so many people, they, uh, women particularly, um, they found themselves in the same place. You know, we, we don't sometimes want to think that what's happened to us is abuse and that, um, you know, so many women blame themselves for the situation that they find themselves in. And I think um, I just feel that I have this platform that I can reach hundreds of thousands of people with to talk about my experience and to help other women who might be in the same situation or who might be sitting at home thinking, I don't know whether this is me or not. Um, and I think the thing that's really important is that... Um, 
I, my experience happened when I was really young. And I think that a lot of what I thought abuse was and domestic abuse in particular was older couples, married couples, you know, the stuff that you see on TV in the Coronation Streets and the EastEnders and stuff. That's what I thought abuse was. And I never thought that that was what was happening to me. So I think that for me, for example, my sort of role within Women's Aid really has been okay to raise awareness, but particularly to raise awareness about healthy relationships in young people. Those first relationships that you start to have where you're just testing the boundaries of, you know, what's normal, what's not. You don't have much concept of what constitutes a healthy relationship and you don't have much awareness around what those red flags are should they appear. So what I've done is I have this platform. I can reach lots of young people with it. How can I get them to understand what are those red flags? What are the things to be aware of? Where to signpost them if they find themselves in difficult situations? Um, because that for me is super, super important. And I, I wish, you know, I'd had that when I was in my situation. Um, and they're an ama- like amazing charity. I mean, I could literally sing their praises. They get such little funding and there's such a small team of them they just got this tiny office but the work they do is just incredible and how many lives they save and people they support is just amazing so yeah i'm big big passionate fan and actually over lockdown i raised sixteen thousand pounds for them with my classes so um yeah that was my little give back to them but yeah they are amazing wow alice (laughs) that is so lovely and you know oh i think you seem to have a real gift Um, because what you have been able to consistently do, it seems to me anyway, throughout your experiences of life is to give back and to think about how you can turn something that is really difficult, something that is challenging, something that makes you feel alone into something that brings people together. And you've done that obviously through your work online, you've done that with the app, and now you're doing that with the work for women's aid. So I just want to say a huge thank you both for sharing your story and all the work that you do. Thank you. Well, I think, you know, I, I was actually listening saying going talking about podcasts. I was listening to a podcast the other day that was saying, you know, fundamentally as humans, and you probably have this as a doctor, like we like to help people. And I've always had it, you know, it's always been within me that like as much as it's nice to take things from life, it's way more rewarding to give back. Um, And so I think that, yeah, like it sounds a bit cheesy and I don't mean to like polish my own halo here, but like. (laughs) (laughs) Polish away. (laughs) But it does feel good. And as much as I'm lucky that I get to do what I do and I enjoy my job, like ultimately at the end of the day, if I can go to bed knowing that I've helped even one person, that makes me happy. And that makes me feel way more rewarded than any sort of like fun stuff that comes along with my job. Well, I agree. You know, that's why I went into medicine to help people. Um, it, it feels good to do that and and help people you certainly are. Um, I guess we should try and wrap this up um, know, a little bit now. <laughs> I could go on and chat to you all day, but I think, you know, I know that you're so passionate about all sorts of things, nutrition, movement, um, helping people find their voice, strength, confidence. Going back to, you know, what's made you really build your platform and app, it would be amazing as we round this off, if you would be able to share some of your best tips on helping people to get more movement into their day. And, you know, if people are struggling, if people are busy, how can they get more movement into their day? Do you know what? This is perfectly timed because I've just written my newsletter, which is on that topic, because I think as life picks back up, people are sort of exercise was quite high on the priority list and it's sort of creeping down as things start to come back in. So um, absolutely. So I think the first and foremost thing with exercise, and we've talked about it a lot across the last hour, is basically that if you're going to exercise in a long term and meaningful way, it's got to be something that you enjoy. You've got to find something that just feels good for you. I'm not saying that every session you're going to bounce out thinking, oh my God, I feel amazing. But like on some level, you should enjoy it. And I think we need to stop putting exercise in a box of, you know, that you have to be dripping with sweat and absolutely thrashing yourself on the gym floor. There are so many different ways to move your body from hiking, yoga, swimming. um, I'm trying to think of stuff, Zumba, you know, all these things, like all this stuff is, is, is moving your body and it's exercise. And so it's about what can you find that really like makes you feel good, that you enjoy, because you're going to be so much more likely to stick to it long term 
then something that you do for the next sort of couple of weeks and then just drop and forget about. So that's my first thing. Second thing I would say, and this I guess is a mini plug for my app, although I'm going to try not to do it too much, but having structure and consistency with your training is what gets you results. The the biggest phrase that I use with my clients who come to me and sort of say, oh, I've been exercising, but I'm not really seeing results is random training equals random results. If you're not having a level of consistency and structure in your training, you're not really going to see much output in terms of results. So having a structure, following some kind of a program or class or whatever it is, consistently over a period of time is where you're going to start to see those results, whether that's strength gains, whether that's body composition, whether that's just feeling better, having that consistency is going to really help. And that's what I try and offer in the app. Um, And then most importantly as well, you know, we touched on doing too much exercise. I think be really realistic with how much you can achieve in a week. Don't put too much pressure on yourself to try and hit six sessions because it's just not realistic for most people. Try and look at your diary each week. Look at how much time you've got. Look at where you might be able to fit in those sessions and then be really really realistic with how much you'll be able to fit in. Because I think that, um, you know, one of the things that I hate is when people sort of beat themselves up for not meet, not being able to meet a, a target of how much they want to train, you know? If you're realistic with it, you sort of say, okay, I can train two or three times this week. And if you meet those, that's great. But if you sort of set yourself a goal of doing five and then you end up doing three, you're going to feel pretty rubbish about yourself. So try and be realistic. Set yourself those sort of measurable, achievable goals and then try and hit those consistently rather than sort of really pushing yourself for like one or two weeks and then sort of falling off the bandwagon because you're exhausted or you weren't able to keep up with those demands. Mm, That's great advice. And, you know, I've been telling my patients, even when they're boiling the kettle, they could perhaps do, you know, yeah. a few jumping jacks or, exactly. <laughs> or anything just anywhere. to move their body. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and actually my final thing there, and I think this is one thing that we do forget, walking is the best thing you can do for your body. I've said it a hundred times. I'm going to say it again, as much as I love strength training, as much as I love all forms of exercise, if all of us can just walk a bit more outside, we will all be better for it. And so it's not about, you know, making sure that you get those gym sessions in necessarily. For some people, it could be having a step goal for the day or having, you know, uh, half an hour each lunch break to be able to go out and do a walk. Something like that. I think if all of us can just walk a bit more, we're going to be better for it because it's good for our mind and it's good for our body. It's low impact. You know, we know that there's so much research when it comes to the benefits of walking for our health, as I'm sure you can attest to. So yeah, I think just walking a bit more as well is something we can all do for free. (laughs) Absolutely. For free. Walk more, move more, love more, Alice. That was just such a lovely interview. Thank you so, so much for spending some time with us today. I know that our listeners are going to get a huge amount out of that. So just want to say a huge, huge thank you. No, thank you for having me. It's been great. Thank you. Well, I really hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I found Alice to be really engaging. Her tips for exercise were fantastic. And most importantly, I think learning from her experience and um, the ways in which she has got through traumatic times has allowed me a real insight into how you can turn something negative into something positive and ultimately help to serve other people. So I really enjoyed that. If you did, please do let us know. You can get that episode on your favourite podcast platform or of course via the Holland and Barrett website, hollandandbarrett.com. And please do remember to join me again about how you can fit wellness into your day.